Amen. Welcome this morning. Resurrection Sunday. It's a good morning to be here. Amen. Just testing you out with the amens. Just warming up your mouth a little bit. There's some things to be excited this morning. If you don't know the story, we're going to learn a little bit about it, but we just passed through Good Friday where Jesus died, the Son of God, the King of Kings. And this morning we're celebrating that resurrection that God in the flesh died and resurrected himself back to life. As a result, our redemption, our salvation, our victory, it's all here. If you're here this morning, I I can a little bit assume, this is a bad thing, but maybe I will, that you know where Christians stand on Easter morning. But if not, let me clarify that Christians, we believe with confidence, church, with confidence that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second part of the Trinity, that God in the flesh stepped off his eternal throne, laid down his eternal crown and garments, and he came to earth as a baby. Just as prophecy said, to die for the sins of the world. He came not to judge, but he actually came to take the judgment that we sit under and to give us a gift that we couldn't earn on our own. He came to resurrect himself, to proclaim victory over death, over sin, over Satan. John 3.17 says that God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. We look at Friday and we see that he suffered as we suffered. We see that he, he was tempted as we were tempted, that he lived through difficulty in life, just like we live through difficulty in life, but he lived sinless, completely without sin, so that he could accomplish a work that I could not accomplish on my own. That he could pay for a debt that I could not pay for myself. He came to call me holy. He came to call you holy because I am incapable and you are incapable of being holy. He came so I could stand in front of God and be called clean. God in his perfect justice, we can't miss this, God in his perfect justice requires that our sin against a holy God be paid for. Our sin can't go unpunished. God determined that the wages of sin is death. That the wages, the cost of our sin is death, but the gift of God is also eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A perfect God who created a perfect law, who requires a perfect justice, it would be unjust for God, unjust to let our punishment, us sinning against the holy God, go unpunished. It would be unjust. So As an imperfect man, myself, with imperfect desires, with a sinful nature, with a distorted sense of justice, I cannot measure up. So Jesus, God in the flesh, Lord over all creation, leaves his throne. This morning and Friday, we look at how he left his throne because of this, his great love for you, whoever you are sitting there, because of his great love for you. He came to die a horrible, brutal death to cover the cost of your sin, your shame, your guilt, your debt. So I could be free from the curse of sin. The curse of sin, the curse of the law we just read this morning. Galatians 3.13 says, God redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. It's his goodness this morning that we celebrate. Let me pray. 
Jesus, as we come into this morning, as we stop to pause and look at your word, I pray that you would just bless our eyes and our ears. God, as I, I pray as I speak, they don't hear me, but they hear the goodness of who you are, the goodness of Jesus this morning, that we celebrate as a church what we've come to know as truth, that Jesus is victorious. Amen. Jesus predicted his death uh, many times in the Gospels, and I want to read this morning. I'm going to put it up on the screen in case two things. If you don't have a Bible, please follow along, but if, if you want to look in front of you, if you didn't bring one, there is a blue Bible probably in, one, in front of one of the chairs. If you would like that, if you don't have one and you want to take it, that can be a, a gift from us. We'd love you to take it home and read it. But we're going to read from John 10 this morning. There is, uh, in the New Testament, the smaller part, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and we're going to look at chapter 10. These are the words of Christ. I want you to hear this. This is such a sweet thing this morning. It says, For I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this field that I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Listen, sometimes when we picture Good Friday, we, we look at Good Friday and we see Jesus. We see him being nailed to a tree. We see him being dragged and beaten and flogged and scorned and mocked. But listen, and let me be really clear here, no one forced Jesus on the cross. No one forced Jesus on the cross. He raised the dead to life. He calmed the seas. He walked on the water. There's no way three nails is going to pin Jesus to the cross. What pinned Jesus to the cross is his love for you. If you haven't heard that before, listen, what pinned Jesus to the cross, what kept him on the cross is because he loves you, desperately loves you. And then he walked straight into Jerusalem. He walked straight into Jerusalem willingly to take his place on the cross. No one had authority over Christ. No one forced him to get on the cross. He could have called for 12,000 angels and said, come rescue me. But in his goodness to us this morning, he didn't. He chose to freely and willingly lay down his life for the sheep, for my sin, for your sin. Jesus, in this act of the cross, takes on the full wrath of God. The full wrath of God that re requires and demands justice for sin. But he willingly, because of his great love for you, took on the wrath of God. Listen, this morning, God loves you. God loves you. He would have it that you would come to know him. Maybe this morning, this is the first time you're considering this. Who is this God and, and what does he mean in my life? And that's all Good Friday. Like we're talking about the cross, the death, and that's all Good Friday. He took on the, the weight of the world. So where we are today is we celebrate a fully risen, fully victorious Jesus Christ. Like from today and forevermore, Jesus stands victorious, fully victorious over death, over sin. His work is complete. It's done. There's no more in addition. There's nothing you can do to add to the work of Christ. It's done and complete fully. That's what we celebrate resurrection morning. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 55, it says, Oh, death, where is your victory? 
Oh, death, where is your sting? Listen, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ. Now, there is a, a little bit of a part of me that would love to break down all the historical data. Like the biblical, the non-biblical, the eyewitness claims the depth of verifiable evidence that we have on the death and on the actual literal resurrection of the person of Jesus Christ. I love apologetics, I love the defense of the faith, and I'd like to look practically and historically and scientifically and sociologically and logically and look at all the evidence surrounding what I believe in by faith. I love that side of it, but I think this morning would be better used a different way. I think this morning it would be good and sweet to look at the resurrection story and see what Jesus says and what he does and how he interacts. So we're going to look. Turn to Matthew with me, Matthew 28. It's getting thirsty up here, so while you're turning, I'm going to drink. Matthew 28. The very end of Matthew, we're going to look at the resurrection story. If you don't have a Bible, you can read it up there with me. 28, 1 to 10. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and they will see me there. Church, probably like the greatest sentence ever spoken was he is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Like the grave can't defeat Jesus, the king I serve and follow. The, gra- the death could not silence him. Sin has no hold on him because he is risen. He's not here just as he promised. This is a great little text. At the very beginning, we have Mary and then Mary Magdalene and the other Mary going to the tomb as they would, bringing spices and ointments, going to mourn, going to the cross, going to the, the tomb after the Sabbath. And then in the middle of this, at some point, there's this massive earthquake where the angel is sitting, and it's kind of just like a, like a gangster movie, just rolls a stone and sits on it. There's just something about, like, authority there. Like, just out of the way, I'm going to sit, I'm going to wait. And he's just sitting on this rock. It says, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Guards were terrified, they couldn't speak, immobilized. So the angel says to the ladies, he says, don't be afraid. But first, I love how he doesn't say that to the guards. He doesn't say don't be afraid to them. They're terrified. They're fainting out of fear. And it's kind of like saying, hey, enemies of God, be afraid. Be afraid because something great just happened. But to those who love Christ, to those who are like friends of Jesus, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. 
the Navy SEALs, the Marines, like the top guards are just fainting all over the place. There's two little women with their spices. And this great angel is like, I got you. Don't be afraid. I got something to tell you. He says, he is risen just as he said. Just as he said. Jesus does just what he says. He is risen just as he said. He is a God faithful to his promises. When God says something, he does it. When Jesus makes a promise, he fulfills it. Just as he said, he is written. That is, he is risen. That is a God I can put my trust and hope in. If he can defeat death, both prophesy his death and his resurrection, that's a God I can put my trust and my hope in. He is risen just as he said. Now this angel just, just rolled a stone away and the guards probably just fainted and, and the Marys are just coming onto the scene. And I'm not sure, I'm, I, maybe I'm making this up, but I'm not confident that he rolled a stone to let Jesus out. We see later Jesus can walk through walls. I think he rolled a stone away to do this, to say, hey you, come and look inside and see that the tomb is empty. I want you to come and see. Come and see what Jesus does. He wants us to come and see. We roll the stone so we can see that the work is already done. And I love this. Like, the work is already done. You, you don't have to, like, he, he didn't say, Mary, like, get clean first. Go, go tidy up. Go get your heart right. Just, just prepare yourself. He just said, just come. Just come and see. Because the work's done. This story is so all about grace. Like the only part that I had to play in this whole story, the only part that you had to play in this whole story is that my sin nailed him to the cross. That's it. That's the maximum amount of my story poured into this, is that my sin against the holy God was that which held Jesus to the cross, that pinned him to the cross. That's my part of the story. Our sin needed to be paid for, and I'm not capable of doing that. Because I know God said the wages of my sin is death. The cost of it is death, and I can't do that. I'm not capable of that. It's my contribution. My contribution is my sin. So Jesus, in, in all of his grace, like it's just all him. The story is all him. It's, it's not us. And sometimes we're like, how do we fit? It's not us. It's just Jesus. He just does this amazing thing. I have no part in his resurrection. I have no part in my own resurrection. No amount of struggling and striving and pursuing, no amount of, of hard works and really good things that I can do, and no amount of giving or, or even kindness or charity, and nothing I can do will take care of the stain of my sin, nothing. The story is all about grace. It's just God coming in and doing the work for us because he knows we can't do it, and he, he loves us, and he pursues us, and he chases us. So he just says, look, the tomb's open, come and see. It's like Psalms 34 where he's like, taste and see that the Lord is good. Just, just come. Just come and experience it. If you jump down to verse 10, it might be up there. Verse 10 says, then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. Like, go, go and tell the guys that all just deserted me. Go and tell Peter who publicly and openly denied even knowing me, who betrayed me. Just go, go tell them. I just want to see them. Like, that is such a grace-filled story. Tell my brothers I've risen. I, I just want to see them. And I'm sure, like, I'm confident they had regrets. I'm confident Peter was, like, so, so frustrated that they had failed Jesus. But this part of the story is so far beyond our failures. 
And we get wrapped up thinking, I can't, I can't, I can't because of me, because of me, because of me. And God's like, I've just done it. I want you to come and see that I've risen again so I can take care of your failures. There's a story, like if you're reading this story in John, just a couple pages later, where John is in a fishing boat and Jesus is walking along the shore and he finally realizes it's Jesus. And Peter just like gasps and just dives into the water. And he just swims as hard as he can to the shore, as fast as he can to the shore. And he's, you can see he's not sitting in his shame. He's not sitting in his guilt. He's not thinking or just convinced about his sin and how he's hurt Jesus. But he just wants to be with Jesus. He just swims as hard as he can. He just wants to be with Jesus because he knows hope is fully restored with what he's just done. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah he's denied him. We've denied him. Yeah, he's betrayed him. We've, we've betrayed him. He's sinned against him. We've sinned against him. But that was Friday. And we know Sunday's coming. Like the resurrection makes it fully complete. Means that hope is fully restored. We have something finally to hope for. I'm going to turn over to the book of Acts. Just the very beginning of Acts. First chapter. We'll have it on the screen here for you. This, this scene's pretty amazing. Christ is preparing his ascension. He's resurrected. He's met. He's been seen. Eyewitnesses, thousands of people to know. Christ is on the resurrection scene, and he's giving these final words of comfort and direction to his disciples. And if you look down at 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Verse 9 reads this. This is a little bit interesting to me. It says, and after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside him. And they also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into the heavens will come in just the same way Have you seen him watch him go up to the heavens. These angels are standing with them, and you, you can see immediately they turn and they start going back to Jerusalem. But the angel's like, why are you looking up there? Jesus just gave you instruction. He told you what you need to do. Why are you gazing intently up to the sky? Go! There's work to be done. There's a role to fulfill. You've got things to do. I love the story that we, we don't, we're not left with just this like endless waiting game. Well, we're left with instructions. We're left with a role to play in this. Last week, if you were here, we talked about Palm Sunday, and I asked three questions. Three questions were, who is Jesus? Who is he claiming to be? And with those questions, what are the implications of those on my life? And through this last week, through the Palm Sunday, through the Holy Week, I'm going to give you the answers to those questions. Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. Jesus Christ is claiming to be God. And through his work on the cross, through the death and his own resurrection, he verifies that claim clearly. So that leaves us with the question, if Jesus is the Son of of the living God, Lord over all creation, what are the implications on my life? Christian and non-Christian, follower of Christ, non-follower of Christ, 
if Jesus is who Jesus claims he is, and he is, by his death and resurrection, we see and are confirmed that Jesus is the son of the ever-living God. Then what are the implications of this in my life? Might be wrestling with that first part. Let me say this. Pastor Louis Giglio in the States said this about the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus has withstood scrutiny throughout the ages, and everyone is invited to examine the evidence for themselves. The resurrection is the single most investigated event in the history of mankind, and instead of unraveling the resurrection, most often the unraveling, the unravelers end up putting their faith in Christ. If you're wondering first, I'm struggling with this part about who Jesus says he is. I'm struggling with the death and resurrection. I'm struggling with the reality. I'm not sure I can believe it. Well, I'm going to say this. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, you will seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. There's no amount of teaching. There's no specific words. There's nothing I can do to convince you of Jesus. There's really nothing. And it's not my intent. And I'm not trying but if Jesus is pursuing you this morning, you will know, probably right now. If Jesus has pursued you and you received the call, you're probably remembering it right now. That moment where Christ came in and said, listen, I'm alive, come and see. I've resurrected. I've come to restore, redeem, and save. I'm here to show you victory. You probably remember that. And for those of us who, maybe you're not there this morning, and maybe you're just thinking about this for the first time this morning, well, praise God that he is seeking and searching after the lost, even still today. Because today you can find hope in Jesus. You can find a fully restored, resurrected hope in Jesus. There is an implication on lives this morning. And let me talk to you if you are a believer. The implication for you this morning, if you are a believer, is that we serve a risen God. That's why we're here and celebrating. That's why some of us are putting up our hands and singing as loud as we can because we're like, yeah, we serve a risen king. All hail King Jesus. We know who he is. We've seen what he's done. I know how he works and I love him and I'm thankful and I'm restored and redeemed. That's the implication for us who are believers. That is sweet. But there's more to it. If we read Acts, there's more to it. It says that we must, our call and our role, regardless of your work, your skill, your ability, how good you are, how much Bible knowledge you have, we have a role to play, and it's going to all the ends of the earth to proclaim that we have a risen Savior. We don't get to escape that. We have a hope in a world that is desperate for hope. So we have to kind of quit looking up at the sky intently and waiting. We have to quit hiding in our churches. We have to quit hiding in our families and, and protecting ourselves. We have to go out and preach the gospel to all the nations because there is a risen Savior. They need to hear it. They need a hope because of their sin. Sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from a holy God that is desperate to know us, and people have said, "Then, then why would why would God allow why would God allow us to go to hell?" He didn't want to. He sent Jesus. He answered that. He gave us an answer. He gave us something. He gave us Jesus Himself, the Word. 
God in existence with his spirit and the word. The word becomes flesh, comes to earth to save and redeem and restore. That's our gift, and it's free. There's nothing you can do. There's no amount of doors you can knock on or amount of good deeds you can do, amount of Bible knowledge you know, amount of prayers that you can say. There's nothing you can do to earn a free gift from God. So that goes to the implication on your life if you have not accepted Christ this morning. If you haven't recognized him as Messiah. I'm gonna say a bold and clear statement. I want you to hear it because I'm going to stand by it. As scripture does, you are a sinner. And your sin separates you from a holy God. A holy God that requires perfect justice and Jesus stood in your place to take on that perfect justice. There's good news this morning. The gospel means good news. There's good news this morning as we think about the death and resurrection. God doesn't need your money. Good. For some of us, you're like, phew. For some of you, you're like, man, I've been counting on that. He doesn't need your good deeds. For some of you, <laughs> good. He ain't good. Some of you think you are, and you're working hard. Doesn't need it. He doesn't need your fancy words, your crazy prayers, your biblical knowledge. He doesn't need it. What he needs and what he wants is your heart. He wants you this morning. There's a reason you're here this morning. It's to sit and think about the resurrection of Jesus. What does it mean? What does it mean in my life? How am I supposed to understand this, interpret it? Well, let me tell you what it means, that Jesus wants to redeem, restore, and save you from yourself. That, my friends, is the good news. Because there is no amount of good that I can do. There's no amount of good that you can do. There's no amount of earning what Christ has given to us freely. I'm going to ask for the worship team to come up. The next question is some of the things I'm asking you is this. If you are unsaved, if you are saved, let's just think about it and rejoice about it and remember. But if you're not there this morning, the question would be, well, how do I go about this process? What do I need to do? What is the complexity of the gospel? How do I take it in? Well, the Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. It's both wildly simple and crazy complex. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That means this, believe that he is the Messiah. Believe that he came to save and redeem and restore the lost. Believe that he died and that he rose again to conquer and defeat death. Believe that he says you are a sinner and you need redemption. And believe that he's willing to give it to you this morning. John, 1 John 1, 8-9 says this. Listen, if you confess your sins, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That means we stand in front of God the Father and instead of seeing Marshall, he sees Jesus. Instead of seeing my sin, he sees Jesus' work of redemption. And he says, welcome. Because of the work on the cross, Jesus is risen. Hope is here. And church, stand with me because we are going to sing all hail King Jesus. All hail King Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for this morning as we prepare our hearts just to sing this song. For some of us, we've never thought all hail King Jesus. We've never, we've never sung through these words. We don't understand the implication. Maybe some of us are being drawn this morning to you in a new way, a fresh way, way we haven't been drawn. Maybe for years we've sat in the pew looking up and we haven't received your word or your call to go out to all the nations. Jesus, I pray this morning that everything would change for the believer and the unbeliever, that everything would change 
that we would stop looking intently up, but we would look outwardly where you called us to go into the world and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, for those who are hearing you this morning that have not heard you before, God, please draw them towards you right now. Even as they sing this song, draw them towards you. Draw them towards you, Jesus. Show them who you are. My words are not enough, but your holiness is. Thank you for Easter. Thank you for the cross. But Jesus, thank you for the resurrection. In your perfect and holy name, amen.